Hello, and welcome to the Mobile User Acquisition Show, a podcast to help you unlock tremendous growth for your app. My name is Shamant Rao. I'm the CEO of the boutique growth marketing firm, Rocketship HQ, and host of the podcast, Mobile User Acquisition Show. In each episode, we feature experts in the field of mobile growth and discuss strategies, tips, and pointers from the leading edge of mobile growth marketing. By the end of each episode, you will have gained actionable and tactical insights that will help you make more informed decisions in your own work around growth. The Mobile User Acquisition Show is produced by Meryl Vincent, Content Marketing Manager at Rocketship HQ. Our guest for today's episode is Grace Irma Cabezas. Grace runs her own growth consulting firm, Go and Go and she previously headed growth at Poppy Seed Health, an app that supports individuals during pregnancy and postpartum. In today's episode, Grace talks about her experience at Poppy Seed Health and shares how using raw, vulnerable creatives that spoke directly to the pains, hopes, and fears of their users who are pregnant women resulted in dramatic performance gains. She talks about the insights that led to this creative strategy, the actual production process for these ads, and how her team decided to keep the user experience as real and genuine as possible, even when these resulted in ads that were not particularly sexy or happy, and even when these resulted in occasional disapprovals by platforms. In a world of clickbaity, sales-focused creative strategy, Grace brings a unique perspective on the importance of authenticity, vulnerability, and genuineness. And I highly recommend this interview for anyone looking to broaden their creative perspectives. I'm very excited to welcome Grace Omar Cabezas to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. Grace, welcome to the show. Thank you, excited to be here. Yeah, thrilled to have you, Grace, because we're gonna talk about something very interesting in terms of the way you approach creatives and creative strategy. That's certainly a very unique take. So excited to dive into that with you today. You know, of course, as we dive in, I think it's perhaps a good, it, it would be perhaps good to start by giving our listeners a lay of the land and tell them about your product and the product you're working on. Uh, so they have some context as we talk about some of the strategy uh, down the line in this interview. Absolutely. So I had a growth at an app-based telehealth solution called Poppy Seed Health. And Poppy Seed Health connects 24-7 doulas, midwives, and nurses with pregnant and postpartum people via text. So it's a proprietary, you know, unique text-based app product for this very unique <laughs> and windy life stage that folks have. And primarily we call them advocates, but our doulas and midwives and nurses are there to provide well-being and emotional support. And it's truly 24 seven, seven days a week. Yeah, right. And, you know, generally it's pregnancy can be thought of, you know, a lot of ads portray pregnancy as a linear path. And in our last conversation, you shared that Unlike a lot of traditional messaging out there, you guys decided to focus on a very different track. So 
can you tell us what led to the insight to portray pregnancy not as a linear path and what was the path you guys chose instead? Yes, absolutely. So we were coming off of, I mean, the product itself had about a year of beta testing to kind of wind down what the actual offering should be. But additionally, we're looking at our competitive set in, from a creative and messaging standpoint and seeing that, especially in the app space, most of the products that folks are interacting with that are in market in pregnancy in that life stage are trackers. And trackers by nature are linear, right? <laughs> week one, week two, week three of your pregnancy up until birth. And those products inherently assume what we would call sort of like a positive path that you are happy about that pregnancy and that it you know goes to a healthful conclusion, which is a healthy baby on the other side and a healthy birthing person on the other side. But we knew through our research and through our lived experiences at Poppy Seed Health that that was not always the case. And even the most, even if the end result is a healthy baby, healthy birthing person, the road is windy and that's why Poppy Seed Health exists. So that initial insight was really the foundational product offering for sure. us. Sure. Yeah. So that's very interesting because what you're also saying is for a tracker, maybe that messaging is right. But yeah. for emotional support, it's not, right? If you exactly want emotional support during what can only be a tumultuous phase, that's not anything but linear. Yeah. And we had to contend with the reality that we're sitting in the same space. We yeah. were different products, but we're sitting yeah. in the same competitive space. We're a pregnancy app, right? So yeah. you have to be able to grapple with that, even if your offering is not the same. Certainly. And uh, obviously a lot of the marketing you guys did and everything we're going to talk about happened after ATT when just a lot of the tracking and measurement was broken. How did the absence of the IDF inform creative strategy? Absolutely. I think it was a little bit of a blessing and a curse, especially when I talked to other mobile marketers about this because we were, we knew what we were dealing with upfront. <laughs> Actually the rollout, um, was our launch date, essentially we launched oh, wow. April 27th, um, oh, wow. 2021. <laughs> right. So it was like that same week if memory burned into our memories, if memory serves us right. It was that same week. So actually it was kind of freeing <laughs> in a way because we knew that like we had already been seeing signs, you know, across, you know, the market that sort of DTC roadmap of like scalable, almost infinitely scalable, highly targeted Facebook ads was sort of unraveling already. We we're already seeing signs of that across the DTC space. So that was a known entity. Then going into losing a lot of that visibility, we knew that we weren't going to be able to refine as much on hints and other things in within the algorithm that could get really, really laser into the focus of what life stage that person was in. Of course, it was never perfect. I mean, just because of the, the work I do, <laughs> I see a number of ads that don't necessarily relate even before <laughs> IDFA went away that didn't necessarily relate to my life stage based on my browsing behavior, app behavior, et cetera, et cetera. So it was never 100% perfect, but we knew that we're going to lose a lot of that, those inferences. So initially, in order to kind of convey who we were serving, you know, we really thought creative first um, and that the creative would help illustrate the personas and the use cases for us 
and could do some of the work that we were losing in the targeting, if that makes sense. So how can we portray that nonlinear pregnancy, postpartum, bumpy journey in a way that could be compelling and really go creative forward, messaging forward, and then think about how the channel supported each of those elements. So I think, I mean, I think it's a way that I like to work, but it made it even more imperative that we work that way versus channel first. How can we, you know, work the algorithm to our favor first and foremost? I think that absolutely makes sense. You can't like laser target specific micro audiences, if you will, right? And yeah. this became impossible, right? Yeah. And, you know, speaking to the specifics of your creative strategy, right? What were some of the standout moments in somebody's pregnancy journey that you guys featured in Ad Creators? How did you decide on these specific moments? Why did you think they worked? Yes. So it was a combination of sort of things that we had heard from initial beta members for our product. So it was like, what, what were those actual questions that we were getting? Also combined with, again, leaning into this idea that this is not a linear path, that there's, that the everyday actually presents challenges that many birthing people don't think of as rising to the occasion of needing help, but are pretty universal. So for example, we showed a person breast pumping for milk and then wondering, you know, am I producing enough milk? You know, and as they're doing that, they're sort of typing the question in, into Poppy Seed Health. We had a diaper blowout. <laughs> oh, wow. No, no, it wasn't real. Uh, it, was, it was fictionalized, Still. but in a very realistic way. <laughs> because we know that that was a very visceral, real experience that people have. And then it's like, how many of these are normal in a day? So we tried to really take those moments and illustrate them in the most compelling way possible. and then connect them directly to how they related back to the product. So it was, we really, so yeah, so that's kind of how we did it. And then also knowing what things were unspoken because we were a texting app and a, and a space that was safe for birthing people to ask these questions that they may be ashamed to ask, or again, may not think, they sort of wonder out loud, is it normal, but not, are not sure who the right person to go to. So we, that, also informed. We had, we had an image of someone um, combing their hair and, and, you know, larger clumps of hair than they were interested in. <laughs> then Nobody wants clumps of hair to come out of their head, but larger clumps of hair that they were used to. And then so highlighting postpartum hair loss, which is something that's quite common, but isn't often talked about. So it was also a little bit of like inferences into like things that we knew in our lived experience happened things that people were asking us and that aren't, you know, that's not something that is highlighted in a, in a pr tracker pregnancy app. That's not something that's highlighted in a pregnancy test ad. Just thinking of all these other creatives that speak to that life stage. That's yeah. not what's shown. What's shown is that happened with the baby bump, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, smiling yeah, yeah. or a baby on their hip or something like that. So what I also find fascinating grace in what you said is that the primary focus is on the actual lived experience of these people yeah. yeah, and not as much on the app. And, you know, the app yeah. itself is a text window. Mm -hmm. And uh, if all you did was show the text window, it would be nowhere as compelling to the actual experience of these folks. Yeah, because a large part of it is also trying to, the need exists 
but because in the market there wasn't a solution, I think people just sort of they they didn't know that they were looking for poppy seed health to put it that way. So showing yeah. the inside of the app, you know, wouldn't be as compelling as showing a real life situation that you could be in and then connecting it to that moment to the product. Sure. And did a lot of these ads also depict the solution, which is talking to somebody and somewhat feeling somewhat reassured? Was that a part of the ads too? Yeah, we always, we wanted to integrate the phone and the texting without like, like showing it in screen. So in every image there was, you know, the person, the subject was on their phone texting. We had a couple iterations with where we showed the text bubble over that context image. That was also really compelling. So we can kind of pull it together. Right. Very impressive. To switch gears a little bit, you know, I don't know about you, but in my experience on Facebook, I've often seen creative that just doesn't look like it's special. And that creative often wins in the auctions. Sometimes it can be stupid, simple, like a JPEG or a very short video, but just like the algorithm favors it so much that it sets off an effect where this particular ad eats up all of the spend. Yes. You know, oh, in fact, I was talking to somebody and they were like, you have this really stupid ad that's winning. Everybody on our team hates it. Because, hates it, yeah. Definitely been there. Right? Because they're like, you know, we have very strategically thought out ad. We looked at Isunas and what went to some stupid JPEG, which looks ugly, basically, right? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, generally the biggest challenge is in ensuring that any new creative gets love from the algorithm. It builds up enough history over time right, so that it actually gets performed, right? So... You know, we talked about some of the actual concepts, which certainly were very emotionally intense. And I can see why they would absolutely speak to users. Yeah. How did you account for the fact that even though these ads spoke to users, they may not get love from algorithms, at least early on? And how did you address this? Yeah, that's a really... That's a really good question. And like, I'm, I know I was nodding because I can think of so many different brands I've been at where it's like, you're having to explain the CEO. I know we all hate this ad, but it just does so well. Let's just, I think it's really interesting that you bring that up because in the context of Poppy Seed Health, actually our more evocative, almost brandy asset is what did the best, which actually surprised me. So I was going into, um, when we were looking at the overall distribution strategy and looking at how we're gonna use this, our initial photo shoot and maximize the the assets. I actually requested a lot of simpler pare down, focused on one story, a little bit more neater kind of packaging that was more like kind of highlighted the product I thought best. And then we also created a compilation, a 30 second compilation video that was like, could be a TV commercial, you know what I mean? In terms of how it flowed, that one <laughs> did the best. It was like wow. the flagship brand asset from a creative standpoint. And it also performed the best. That being said, this was, I had never, I don't want to say never experienced this because I feel like I'm doing this forever, but I can't remember a time when <laughs> kind of that brandy asset did the best I, I like I almost wonder like in this new environment if there was something you know what I mean like that actually is what what shined through but that being said we still had the situation where we had this one winner that was gobbling up you know what I mean all of all of the impressions and all, and all of the reach and we did want to test into different concepts based on what we learned you know like we it was a kind of a compilation that told a lot of different stories but then we wanted to try 
something that was more text-based. We wanted to try, you know, testimonials. We wanted to try other things that kind of went beyond the great grand feeling of this thing exists to get people a little bit further down the funnel. And just from a tactical perspective in our setup, we created a distinct campaigns for new creative to try and overcome some of those algorithm challenges. So they weren't all just in one campaign or in campaigns that were in competition with each other. So, and also just making sure that they were distinct enough too. So it wasn't like we're having, you know, 15 second cuts of the 30 second when we know the 30 second does well, right? Like let's really come through a brand new concept and see what traction we can get because it was, yeah, that video was just dominating the yeah. airwaves yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. for a while now. And that's yeah. how we just sort of did it tactically and, you yeah. know, tried to at least get four to six weeks of concrete learnings and, but having them as their distinct campaigns with a distinct budget and making sure they're different enough did help us discover some additional winners and actually some of the original more pared down content that, initially was being beat by that 30 second video. We gave that this, a similar treatment of treating it like a, you know, constructing it as a distinct campaign and yeah. found some new winners, even in some of those previous ones. So sure. that's kind of tactically how we navigated that. But yeah, 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 yeah. So you're building those in a conceptually different way so that it's going to speak to completely different audiences. Yes. Yeah. And you're isolating it away from the historical winner. Right? Yeah. And yeah. if I may ask a follow-up, right? So if you're isolating new ads for the historical winner, until the new ads get enough love from the algorithm, yeah. those ads performance is going to suck at least for a little bit of time, or at least that's yeah. been my experience. Yeah. So how did you treat that as basically test budget that we are prepared to completely lose? How did you think about allocating budget to proven ones versus yeah. what you're testing? Exactly. We, we treated it like a test budget and considered oh, yeah. it like the percentage of the whole for that channel. And I think, yeah, you sometimes have to just stay the course because you can't see something kind of, you know, once some of that history is built up, but it, absolutely. We saw it as a test yeah. budget and thought, you know, yeah. probably for our spend level, we thought of it as like no more than a quarter for four weeks to go against kind of this new concept. And then at the four week mark, we could evaluate. And if it really was, sure. If it really was tanking bad, then we could make a, a decision, you know, in the moment. But I think overall there was more gain and using sure. that and kind of having that creative testing mentality than there was loss in sure, the internet. Sure, sure, sure. And I also imagine you could turn off individual ads if they're tanking, right? If yeah. you're, then maybe three are really bad, but hopefully some of the rest could, you could keep them going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you for getting a little bit in the weeds uh, with me because these are so many things. I'm curious about because of frustrations we face just as well. So this yes. is generally helpful to know, right? And again, not to get into too many follow-ups, you, you did mm. this, uh, express that the brand asset was doing very well historically, yeah. continue to do well. What was that ad about? Sure. Yeah. So it kind of pulled together all of the, we had a couple of different scenarios that we shot and, and portrayed and this pulled them all together. So there was the 
breast pump that aforementioned breast and uh, diaper blowout. There was also like a, what we tried to simulate like late night in the bathroom wondering like, am I okay for the pregnant person? There was, we showed the, a video of the, of the hair loss I had aforementioned. So it kind of pulled together all of those stories with some thematic music and then like an overlay at the end, basically like we're here for it all for you know pregnancy postpartum and all the messy in between so because it kind of went through all the story my initial thinking was i think the micro stories are going to do better right because someone's going to see themselves in one of these scenarios not all of these scenarios because they can't happen all at once some were clearly pregnancy some were very clearly postpartum some were a little bit but i think what what the takeaway for us was like just taking folks through that journey. And again, it wasn't in order. It was different people being depicted. It was different stages. It wasn't like one person going through it in the right order. But I think there's something about foreshadowing that in this life stage is really powerful because if it's your first pregnancy and you just don't know what you don't know, right? And if you can imagine, you can imagine, oh, I may need help with that. Or like, that looks like something that I may need assistance with. And even if one of those scenarios resonates with you, I think it just overall built trust that we understood what the journey looked like. But yeah, that was actually a surprise to me. I mean, it was beautiful. I thought, but I thought this is one of those beautiful ads that's (laughs) not going to, (laughs) um, that's not going to get much reach or that's a little bit too broad. It's not speaking specifically enough, but it, you know, it did phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And certainly it got love from the algorithms as did some of the new ads you guys tested. Did a lot of these ads get love from the manual reviewers at the platforms as well? Less so. <laughs> the, yeah. man, the reviewers were not as big fans of a lot of the imagery that we're depicting. Luckily, I was able to contest almost all of those and get ads reinstated. But we definitely got, you know, our hands slapped in the algorithm, you know, and mistakenly were, were marked as adult content in yeah. that initial robotic yeah. review. But usually the humans, somebody, we're hoping a human looked at it and then appealed it. But yeah, I mean, that's the challenge of being in this space. And what I really appreciated is because I've definitely been places where, and I mean, and you know, I think it added further context into why other advertisers in this space do what they do. <laughs> Showing a baby bump and a smiling person is a very safe ad that <laughs> is probably yeah. likely not gonna be rejected and who wants to go through the hassle of that? But I think from a brand standpoint, it was just important for us to be real. And I, you know, sometimes that, that gets caught in those filters, but we're doing it with taste and with honesty and yeah. just resonating so much with people that we knew it was the right thing to do. Yeah, it's, this is certainly a frustration I've heard from other folks who work with women's health. Yes. A sexual wellness, right? Yes. They get tripped up by algorithms all the time, which is frustrating because these are very important facets of people's health. Yes. Uh, yeah. Right. And yeah, but hopefully, yeah, but sounds like you were able to get through after some hiccups. Yeah. After some yeah. hiccups, we were able to overcome yeah. <laughs> those uh, yeah. rejections. Yeah. It's a badge of honor to a certain point, you know, like. You can imagine, right? You're, <laughs> you're really pushing the envelope on that, right? Yeah. yeah. And I know you described some of the ads. So these are all showing real people. Presumably that requires prep, rehearsal, scripting, a lot of groundwork. Yes. 
tell me, talk to me about the actual production process for these ads, especially early on, because yeah, you know, I would imagine once some some of these are somewhat proven out, you can work with agencies, you can have a somewhat more established setup. But early on, what was the production setup earlier on? Sure. Yeah. So this was really unique and, and I think exciting, at least in my experience and being in early stage is that, well, for one, I think our founder just had a vision of how she wanted a general sense of how she wanted things to look, which is always helpful. But we had an in-house team. We have a really incredible creative director and we did all of this in-house. We do all of our concepting in-house or ideating in-house and we truly did it as a team. So it was a bigger, there was a lot of really great lessons learned actually from this first production. We, like mentioned, we had, we used real people. I mean, everyone's real. I don't like to call models, not real people, but they were not models. They're not professional models. They're people that we knew in our actual lives. So if we knew someone who just had a baby, who, who had a, who had a baby bump, we, those are the folks that we invited. So they were able to depict things that were really happening in their life. So that helped with the scripting aspect. It was much more storyboarding and it was non-speaking. <laughs> Highly recommend that if you're looking to go this route. That takes off a lot of uh, pressure off the plate and more so storyboarding what we wanted to depict, how it looked. And because these people were tapping into their real life experience, it wasn't really hard. And again, like I said, these are not professionals. It really was not hard for, for somebody who has a baby to imagine that blood diaper blowout, you know. And the person that was pumping was truly pumping. She had a child that she was breastfeeding. So that actually that helped a lot. We were drawing context from these subjects' real lives. But yeah, we rented a house. We had got a lot of freelancers to help on the production side. Like it was, it was quite the operation and it was a two day long shoot out of which came that very aforementioned 30 second video, several stills. I think it was probably 10 stills overall and a couple of different videos, Snapchat. So it was a big, it was a big front load shoot for a new brand, right? What we learned is that the core was really the story. So when we came, you know, went back around almost a year later to do another shoot, it was much more pared down. It really focused because we realized, especially from the video, right, that what people were drawn to is like this story that resonates with them and that we needed to like the, the actual people, <laughs> not professional models worked well. And we didn't need as much context in terms of set that we had before that we can really focus in on storytelling. So we did another shoot recently where it was just different individuals and in different state, again, different stages of pregnancy and postpartum telling their stories. We did, you know, we shot, you know, one of our designers shot on her iPhone <laughs> for, you know, 30 seconds. Tell me about yourself. What, what, tell me about where you're on your journey. We're able to compile that into a beautiful video and get these really, really great stills that still had such a powerful brand impact that was maybe 10% of the cost oh, wow. of the initial shoot. So I know a lot of, a lot of startups do it the opposite <laughs> way. And I think that's driven by like, I think the sensibility of, of the leadership team and you know how we wanted to encapsulate the brand, but it was, it was a really big learning in what you can get when you pare down. And I'm glad we sort of, we, we went as far as we could in the beginning because we were really able to capture really great learnings, but it then kind of yeah. taught us that we can pare it down. This is what the people care about. And we didn't have to question production value or kind of those things that get questioned right. when like 
things aren't performing well. Well, it's because we did it in this kind of like, yeah. <laughs> if we spent more money on it, then it would have been this. It's like, we got to yeah. kind of prove that on the yeah. outset, you know? Yeah, yeah, certainly that's very impressive. And just to dig in, when you say uh, these were not like professional models, were they like yeah. friends and family? How did you find yeah. these folks? Friends and family. Oh, wow. Okay. And has that changed? Just the composition of the actors changed since then? You know, it's remained fairly similar. We've, you know, it's amazing. I think the first shoot actually helped us recruit our friends and family. Ironically enough, people saw that, like, the level of quality, the... You know, sometimes your friends and family are not just jumping <laughs> to be model in a, in a shoot, especially ask. when it's yeah. about their life and their yeah. life experience. So I think in a way, the first shoot kind of built our legitimacy in terms of the care and the quality that helped <laughs> recruit the people closest to us yeah. Um, yeah. to do it. But yeah, I mean, it's not an easy ask, actually. So I, yeah. I don't dismiss like the friends and family route. I mean, it's, you know, it's yeah. not always easy and it's not always an option depending on your products. But I think sure. Sure. if you can, it can be really powerful. Yeah. And, you know, seen in a certain light, it's yeah. probably harder to recruit friends and family because <laughs> you could conceivably compensate somebody enough to do to act yeah. in a certain manner, but for the friends and family to be on camera in their most vulnerable moments, yeah, that's not easy. So if you recollect what yeah. was the pitch to them, was, was there, I'm curious if you recollect what yeah. made them say yes. And was there any hesitation? What was that communication like at the time? Sure. Yeah. So I think like uh, for us at, at Poppy Seed Health, we're able to kind of lean into our overall mission that like we're building this product that is helping pregnant and postpartum people. You know, this is what we want to provide. So a lot of people were connected despite being connected to us. <laughs> they were also connected to the mission of our brand. So that's super helpful, right? Like people who actually believe in what you're doing. That I think is probably 90% of it. And then, you know, on the compensation piece, we want to be fair. We want to compensate people for their time and, but also acknowledge the fact that these aren't professional models. So you're not, you're not paying the same rate as you would for a professional model, but we always want to yeah. ensure there's compensation yeah. um, for their time, that their travel is covered. So those are things that we, we bring up up front. And we also like to talk a little bit about impact. I mean, I think for the second shoot, it was easier. We had a year's worth of being live in the market that we could say, these are the people we've touched. These are the people we've helped. And you can be a part of, of spreading awareness of who we are. So, I mean, it's a little, you know, wishy. It's a little squishy and like emotional, but that was, that was kind of like the best hook other than the tactics of we're going to pay you something. We're going to pay yeah. you. We're going to cover your, you know, travel and transportation. Yeah. And we gave people a chance to like ask questions. I think it's a big thing. I mean, like you said, these are, yeah. these are not professionals. So like yeah. making it really clear what we want from them, what, what the time commitment is, those are, those details are incredibly important when recruiting your friends and family yeah. <laughs> for a photo shoot. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I would imagine the money is not the most important part in this yeah and it's yeah. certainly important they obviously have to get paid they have to pay, get yeah. paid a fair amount but it's certainly not the most important part yeah they're not looking to get rich off of this one day shoot no no no, no. yeah you know we've worked with a number of kids apps so certainly those mm. moments are not as vulnerable as what you're describing yeah uh, 
but for a parent to have the kid on camera and yeah that is a big ask and, and i think we found out but i think yes. the folks that were the most enthusiastic were also the ones that were excited and proud about what the kid was doing and about yes. using the product itself because again yes. these are products that help kids do well right? yes and exactly i think just speaking to some of that i think can be very helpful and because Absolutely. it cannot be i think just purely transactional yeah yeah also right i understand grace from the last time we spoke you guys have worked with creators yeah talk to me about what that means what that sort of direction of producing creatives looks like yeah sure so i think from the very beginning when we were launching again in this kind of post idfa world and wanting to start off with a little bit more of a diversified channel mix even for our spend and size than i think we would have previously so one of those opportunity channels right off the bat was tiktok and as we were thinking of how to engage with the channel it just was clear to us that we had to we had to start through creators like it was going to take time to build our own organic presence we had to figure out what we even wanted our point of view to be we knew you had to create content that worked for that platform so working with creators was basically a no brainer to kind of get ourselves on there and when we're like identifying who best to work with i mean also on a tactical note i should mention most tiktok creators are charging a fraction of what similar creators on Instagram would charge for now. I don't know how long that's going to last, but there's just a greater and also there's a greater instance of virality on TikTok and there's just more people and individuals that have large followings and it's based on what they're putting out into the world, not purely aesthetic. So for a number of reasons that was appealing to us. When we're looking at creators and sort of how that workflow was, we're thinking about people that fit into this nonlinear journey. So folks that had children, but maybe had also experienced a pregnancy loss, people that had gone through fertility treatment, people, you know, that were just in these different life stages that were very contextual to us. And then we also thought it was a way for us to also test tone too. So there's folks that are funny, you know, there's people that are a little bit more serious and a little bit they get maybe deeper into their personal lives and you know there's people who do exclusively family content and there's people who maybe do a little bit more lifestyle content but they're also parents so it also gave us an opportunity to kind of test different tones in a way that we just didn't have the resources to right like uh, described what we sure. did from a photo shoot perspective but aside yeah. from that sure. you know we needed other footage so it was you know we put together a pretty simple briefing process. We then sort of evolved it. If there was something particular in the month we wanted to focus on, et cetera, but it's become this really wonderful bank of assets that we can use across yeah. reels, you know, um, yeah. on TikTok itself, and then helped just further contextualize who we were. And it's been pretty powerful. Sure. If you were to contrast the way you approach the creators with how you described your approach to friends and family from the photo shoot, yeah. How would that approach be different for the creators? What does the brief look like? What does the outreach look yeah. like? Yeah, for sure. We try to be as open-ended with the brief as possible because we really wanted to honor the style of that creator because we've, we a lot of the work was on the front end in our perspective in terms of vetting and looking at all 
the sea of applicable people. And we sort of worked out a loose formula of number of followers based on what we knew sort of the going rate was, the type of engagement on your most recent videos, your tone, et cetera, how that fit, fit through our brand filter, which we had to find pretty early on. So that then made it so we were identifying people that we trusted enough and that we thought their style was compelling enough and that their audience engagement was compelling enough that we can give a somewhat open-ended brief in terms of we want we absolutely want you to create this in your style. You know what I mean? We've chosen you because we think that you are brand aligned and that you're interested in, interesting and that we like your style. And then we just had a few key points around call to action. I think that's something that can kind of fall away, especially with a lot of the TikTok creators, who many of which we worked with, we were one of their first brand partners. And actually, you know, thinking about the differences of the pitch, I mean, many of them were compelled by the, by being a part of growing something that they felt was important. So that was, I think, one through line between the friends of family recruitment and the content creator recruitment, especially being a new brand, is that they resonated with, you know, the product we're building and who we're serving and they saw themselves in it. So I think that was the common thread. But for the creators, it was a bit more open-ended. Here are our, here are the things you must say on the call to action side, because that's easiest to get missed. We normally gave parameters around timing, et cetera. But other than that, we kind of, we kept it pretty open. And then that has been, you know, that's worked out fairly well for us. I think the big learning was just being super clear on the call to actions. Cause that, that would be the thing that sometimes you review and be like, this was yeah. hilarious, but they, they didn't really tell people how to get yeah. back to us. Yeah. Yeah. If I had to get into a tactical detail, yeah. are you evaluating like install send uh, down funnel events from the creators as well? And if yes, yeah. how are you thinking about it? Sure, yeah. So we were primarily tracking that through, well, we're tracking conversions through um, promo codes. Sure. So that was sort of the, the simplest way. We also gave people a tracking link. We, one of the requirements was sort of to have a link in bio going back to us for at least 48 hours. They would often keep it up longer. And then that was, we were able to track direct downloads from there. What we saw most commonly was like code usage and then also just sort of overall incremental installs around that 24 hour period of the video is usually what we noticed the most because TikTok is not necessarily a platform when people want to leave and then go take an action, but yeah. they will absolutely use that code and then go you know, to the app store later. So yeah. that's what we saw the most. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and that all makes sense, especially with the broken tracking around, right? So I think we just need yeah. to embrace some of the things like that. Uh, also, right, you know, you talked quite a bit about some of the different angles you, you guys have taken. Yeah. How did you think about the volume of creatives or the number of creatives you produced? And maybe the answer is different for the photo shoots and the creators. Yeah. Uh, how do you think about that? Sure, yeah, I think for our own assets that we created, we did have to kind of have some discipline around the number, right? And that, that was mostly mitigated by our spend. You know, we didn't want to, we had a certain budget and we didn't want to dilute so much that there were things that were barely getting any reach and they were sort of like overproducing. So it was actually a little bit of a learning 
we learned together on the creative side and the, and the growth side around what that looked like and also how to spend our time and energy. I, I kind of look at marketing resources very holistically, you know, including, you know, what you spend to create an asset, not just how much is spent on the media. So as reflected in the second shoot, we're sort of able to calibrate, you know, what we should spend, how much we should produce, et cetera. But a lot of that was mitigated by the budget. On the creator side, it was much more open because each creator has their own audience. They have their own style. We were, I mean, I guess we're all mitigated by, everything's mitigated by budget, but there was yeah. less of a, there was less of a thought of, oh, we don't want to have four or five of these things live in action at the same time. Sure. Like, absolutely, we do want that actually, because this sure. creator A has a completely different audience than creator B, and they're not really even in, in competition with each other in the same way that too many assets running sure. on Facebook would, so. Sure. Right. And did you, and I know you said this is mainly governed by the budget on at least the photo shoot side and certainly yeah. on the creative side, but in some more different ways. Right? Yeah. But were you thinking about, oh, on, you know, if you were to take just Facebook, were you thinking, oh, we need to have X number of assets in testing at any given point of time? Was that yes. like, like a rule or a rule of thumb of some sort that you were looking at? Yeah, I think we basically had a rule of thumb similar to that. So I would say just like based on our spend, like we had maybe four or five ads in play and, you know, one or two of those in any given time would be a test. Right. So that, and that's pretty much remained constant. And then we would sort of swap in and swap out out of position based on performance. So yeah, yeah sure, that's, sure. we tried to maintain that. And sure. for the most part, we've maintained that. Sure. And for the production cadence, right, for the photo shoots, are you like looking at, like, oh, we need to make X number of new ads every month or every quarter? Is there a quantified sort of number of things that you're looking at? I, kind of, I think of them in four to six week sprints primarily. And well, I mean, one of the learnings again is like with this second shoot, we, with, where the costs were reduced so much, we took a lot more stills so we'd be, we'd have more things to be able to use test and with graphic design, because that's, that's also another aspect of it, right? Like sure. you can kind of create different versions that are text-based, how you overlay text, how you, you know, and having some more raw assets gives us more options sure. to kind of mix and match as time goes on. But I normally thought of it as four to six week sprints and thinking about shoots that are years worth of assets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that that's the most sustainable way to think about it. Even two years worth of assets, if you can get away with it. But thinking about shoots that have more life, you know what I mean? Right. How many, how is that, you know, if you're going to get capture video, like I explained in a more pared down way, actually has more value, you know, because there's more of it that you can capture um, and use over time versus getting a professional yeah. videographer and da, 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 and costs mitigating how many of these yeah. things you can sure. actually produce. Sure. Grace, all of that makes so much sense. This has been incredible. I think we've gone on for a fair amount of time. Thank <laughs> you for being so vulnerable and open about everything you guys have done. It's certainly a very unique perspective and interview for me. This is perhaps a good place for us to start to wrap. But before we do that, could you tell folks how they can find out more about you and everything you do? 
Sure. So actually, this is an exciting moment. I've officially launched my growth consulting. So you can, uh, so I can spread, <laughs> spread all these amazing growth footings and, 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 you know, my impact across several different consumer companies. So you can find more about that at www.goandco, so goandco.co. Like Hopefully that, that yeah. makes sense. And folks can always search for me on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to accept new connections. And yeah, that's the best way to kind of keep tabs of what I'm up to. Excellent. And we will link to your LinkedIn and of course to your website and the show notes. But for now, we will let you carry on with the rest of your day, Grace. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. If any of this was helpful or instructive, I would love for you to leave us a review or rating on iTunes. Stitcher, Overcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. This podcast takes a ton of time, effort, and love to produce, and I deeply value every review and every piece of feedback that you share.